Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here. If this is your first time visiting our church, a special welcome to you. And we trust that you will experience the warmth of Jesus in this place. My name is Tim Park. I serve as our lead pastor here at E-Free Church in Diamond Bar. And I want to start off by saying that, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning and uh, you go about your day and you get news that you don't expect, those are moments where we are reminded that God is sovereign. He is in complete control over any and every circumstance. Um, yesterday, we had a team of nearly 30 members of our church who were uh, supposed to be on a plane to Israel. And uh, they got word early that day that that trip, uh, obviously, was going to be canceled. I see many of them here this morning. Uh, can I tell you that I'm, I'm grateful that we are here, that you are safe. I'm terribly sorry uh, that you were not able to go. We also, again, we are reminded that God has plans that sometimes don't align with our own plans. But his plans are always perfect. And again, my, my heart goes out to those of you who were supposed to go, but I know that your attitudes have been just so, so God-honoring. So thank you for that. Um, and I thank uh, Pastor Mark and Susan who were um, planning to lead the trip and all our leaders and church members who were part of the team uh, so thank you all for your, again, your God-honoring attitudes through this whole situation. I want to pause, I want to pray, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me if you would. We want to go before the Lord and pray. So Father, we know that you are sovereign in any and every circumstance. And Father, we ask for your grace, and we ask for your mercy that they would be poured out into our world, a world that has seen unjust acts of violence and aggression. Father, we ask that you would bring comfort and protection and healing to all those who are suffering the pain and the devastating consequences of those acts. Father, we ask that you would change the hearts of those who seek to do harm. Father, because only you have the power to change hearts. So we cry out to you, asking you to change hearts. And Father, we know that it is the gospel alone that offers hope in a broken world. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can bring ultimate healing. Father, Father, there is no true peace on earth without Jesus. And so, may we be reminded this morning to know him in such a way that it would be our life's aim to make him known in every circumstance. We pray these 
in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you, church family. appreciate that. Again, God is sovereign in every circumstance in life. And, and I want to also encourage you and let you know that God is working in a very special way here at Ephraim Church in Diamond Bar. He's working in many exciting ways. As you heard Evelyn share earlier, we have 26 trunks who will participate in trunk or treat. And just in case you don't know, uh, by trunks, we're referring to your vehicles, right? And so we have 26 vehicles. We're going to line our parking lot on October 28th from 5 to 7 p.m. And we're going to see God work in a wonderful way, in an exciting, fun way in our church family and also those in our community who will come. And many of you have given uh, of candy donations. Thank you. But because we have 26 trunks, we need lots and lots and lots of candy. And I've got some good news. We are now accepting chocolate donations. Yes. That means I'm going to be there. So if you've already given donations of candy, hey, give some more and make it chocolate, and we'll make sure that it'll go to good use. And so thank you all for your uh, kind and generous donations. Well, today we continue our series in awe, exploring the names of God in the Psalms. And the title of this morning's message is The God Who Sees. What an appropriate title for all that's happening in our world. The God who sees. Now I want to read to you our jumping off, launching pad passage for this morning in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 in verses 13 through 16, we read these words from the psalmist. He writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It says here that your eyes saw my unformed body. This is an appropriate passage for our message today, the God who sees. And also it's appropriate for this exciting segment that you're going to witness here in just a minute. Today is Dedication of Parents and Young Children Sunday. And this is always a special time for our church family. In our 9 o'clock service, we dedicated four families. And I want to show you the pictures of those kids so you see who were dedicated in our 9 o'clock service. And so we dedicated August on and his parents, Pastor Kevin and Kelly, in our 9 o'clock service. We dedicated Aria Callahan. And her parents, Tim and Alexis Callahan. We dedicated Caleb Fang. Yes. And uh, along with his parents, Tony and Melody and his older sister, Kara. And then we dedicated Benjamin Zaragoza. Along with his parents, Tim and Marimar. And during our 1045 service, we have the special honor of dedicating one family 
with three kids. And they're going to dedicate all three children to the Lord. God has brought this family to our church, and we are so grateful that they have made the decision to publicly dedicate themselves to the Lord. And so as we invite them up here in just a minute, I want you to give them a huge round of applause. Uh, Dad and mom are Anthony and Savannah Riaza, and they are dedicating their son, Logan, and their son, Ezra, and their daughter, Elara. So, Riaza family, come on up here. Let's keep it going for them. Come on up here. Look at this beautiful family. Logan is five years old. Say hi to Logan. Ezra is two years old. Say hi to Ezra. Hi, Ezra. And Alara is one year old. So let's say hi to Alara. And they're here with proud grandpa and grandma down below taking all kinds of video and photos. Anthony and Savannah. I want to share some words of encouragement with you. And I want to start with a passage in Psalm 127. It says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. And it goes on to say, Blessed is one whose quiver is full of them. And so they have one full home. And you are blessed. Savannah, Anthony, God has blessed you with these three precious children. And we are blessed to be part of their lives as well. And that's why it's fitting for us today to participate with you as you dedicate not only your children, but yourselves to the Lord, and to do so in front of your church family. And my prayer for the Riaza family is that a legacy of godliness will be built in their family so that Anthony and Savannah will pass on a spiritual legacy to their children. Now, I know this, that as parents, we, we want to provide a safe environment for our kids. We want to provide them with good education, and we want to provide them with all the, uh, the things in life that would help them succeed. And those are good things. Those are wonderful things. But Anthony and Savannah, I hope you know that those are not the best things. Those are not the most important things. As good as they are, our number one calling as parents is to provide an opportunity, the greatest opportunity, to allow the next generation to know Jesus and to walk with him. And you do this by shepherding your children's hearts. Because the Bible tells us, out of the heart flows the springs of life. And in Proverbs 27, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, we read these words. And Savannah and Anthony, I want these words to penetrate your heart this morning. It says, the godly walk in integrity. Blessed are their children who follow them. So parents, do we understand that our calling is to walk in integrity, 
in all we do in life. Why? Because you may know this, our kids watch us. They see us, they listen to us, and they learn from us. So as we walk in integrity, in step with God, your children will see that, and they will want that too in their lives. And so what does it mean for Anthony and Savannah to dedicate themselves and their three precious children to the Lord today? It means that you publicly submit yourselves to God this morning on October 8th. And you proclaim that you will raise your children in a home that will honor God. And so I have three important questions for Anthony and Savannah. And I'm going to ask you, after each question, respond with two simple words. Those words, we do. Question number one is this. Anthony and Savannah, do you recognize that your children are gifts from God? And Anthony and Savannah, do you dedicate your children to the Lord by fostering an environment in your home that will give your children the greatest opportunity to follow Jesus? And finally, Anthony and Savannah, do you dedicate yourselves to shepherding the hearts of Logan, Ezra, and Alara in every season of life and to do so with godly instruction, with patience, and with a Christ-like attitude? I want to pray for the Riaza family. And if you are able to, if you could join me and where you are, just stand, if you're able to. And for those of you who would like to, as a symbolic gesture of blessing this family, if you'd like to just maybe just reach out your hand as a symbol of gesture that we together, as one church body, we lift this family up in prayer. And so, Father, I begin by praying for this precious child of yours, Logan this precious five-year-old is so smart. Father, I see his kind heart. I see him taking care of his younger siblings and being a wonderful brother. Father, as he does so, I know that you're going to provide all the instruction and guidance he needs through his parents I pray that Logan would walk with Jesus every day of his life. That he would, as he makes friends, that he would share Jesus with them. I pray for Ezra, this precious two-year-old child of yours. Father, would you protect him? Father, give him a special blessing as he looks up to his older brother and he takes care of his younger sister. Give him guidance each day as he makes friends. I know that they will see Jesus in this precious child. So thank you for Ezra. I thank you for this precious child of yours, Ilara. She recently turned one year old, Lord. She's got her whole life ahead of her. And I pray, God, that you would protect her life that you would watch over every step of her life. God, that she would grow into a child that just loves Jesus. 
Thank you, God, that you provided two older brothers for her to protect her, to guard her, to adore her, to take care of her. Thank you for Anthony. Thank you for Savannah. Thank you for these parents whom you've called to shepherd their children's hearts. Give them patience, Lord, when they need patience. Give them kindness and grace and mercy. Fill them with the love of Jesus. Fill the Riaza household with your love. We commit them to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's hear it for the Riaza family. You can have a seat down there, and we have some special gifts. We have certificates, and we have Bibles for the children. So let's hear for them one more time as they make their way down. I don't know if you noticed, but when you were all blessing them up here, right, little Ezra had his hand up too. <laughs> Earlier we read from Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed body. That's what the psalmist said to God. Your eyes saw my unformed body. That's the foundation for today's message, the God who sees. In that psalm, David was talking to Yahweh, the one who had ordained every day of David's life, even before he was born. So when we say, when we say that God sees us, we're not just simply saying that God is somewhere in the distant skies as a neutral observer watching our lives from afar. That is not what we're saying at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. When we say that God sees us, what we're really saying is that God is actively working in our lives, no matter the circumstances. In the, in the 17th and 18th centuries, there was this intellectual movement called deism, D-E-I-S-M. Now, the basic teaching of deism went like this, and it's still around today. There is a God. He did create the world, but he doesn't intervene in the world. That's the basic teaching of deism. This is not a biblical concept. Deism views God as this uninvolved clockmaker, if you will. So yes, God, he designed a clock. He wound it up. That's what you did in the olden days. But then he just let it go and let it run. And then he distanced himself from that creation. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not our God. God sees us and he's actively working in every circumstance. Now at the beginning of our series, we mentioned Abraham and Sarah. When Abraham was in his mid-70s, God made a promise to him. He said, Abram, I'm going to bless you. 
I'll give you lands and descendants and all kinds of blessings. That was Abram in his mid-70s. At that time, his wife's name was, was Sarai, S-A-R-A-I. At that time, God promised Abram all these things. But year after year after year went by, and Sarai did not conceive. They desperately wanted a son. I mean, after all, this was God's promise, right? He promised him descendants. They so desperately wanted a son. And along the way, they even took matters into their own hands. Abram, at one point, thought, God, where's my son? It's been many years. And so Abram thought, you know, if I cannot have a son of my own, then my servant who lives in my household, he will be my heir. That's what Abram thought, and he really meant it. He said, God, if you're not going to give me a son, then I'm going to appoint this servant to be my heir. His name was Eliezer. But to that, God responded to Abram. And he said, this man will not be your son, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So God reminded Abram that you will have an heir, but he will be your own flesh and blood. But year after year went by, and Sarai did not conceive. Sarai was so desperate for God's promise to be fulfilled that she also tried to take matters into her own hands. So she came up with a plan. Now, before I share with you the details of that plan, I want us to understand very clearly the pain that Sarai must have experienced not being able to conceive, waiting year after year after year. Maybe some of you have experienced that same pain in your own life. Not only that, not only did Sarai experience the personal pain of not, of not being able to conceive, she lived in a culture that made it very difficult for women who did not conceive. She faced the pain and the shame of not being with child. So every day, can you imagine, put yourself in her shoes. Every day she would go out, Sarai, why don't you have any kids yet? Why don't you have any kids? So I want you to understand that Sarai, when she came up with this plan, it wasn't just some plan on a whim. She experienced the pain and the humiliation of not being able to conceive. And so she took matters into her own hands. Now, I'm going to pause here again and say this, that oftentimes in the waiting, when we're waiting for something to happen and we're waiting and waiting, sometimes we find ourselves reasoning with God and trying to justify and rationalize our, at times, impatience. When Abram 
became Abraham. And when Sarai became Sarah. And when they ultimately brought their son Isaac into the world, I want you to know that was 25 years after the initial promise to Abram. Think about that. 25 years elapsed from the time that God promised Abram that he would have many descendants to the time when Isaac was actually born. 25 years is a long time. I want you to pause right now. Think back 25 years ago from today. Think about your life 25 years ago. One thing is for sure. We are all in a different stage in life 25 years ago. Joanne and I, 25 years ago, on October 8th, 1998, we were engaged and one month away from our wedding. So we were busy planning a wedding 25 years ago, which means next month in November, we'll celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. Thank you. We were young back then. Thank you. Every single one of us, 25 years ago, we were in a different stage in life. Some of you weren't even born. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, all right? I don't want to feel too bad. Think about this. 25 years is a very, very long time. Andrew and Amanda, they weren't even born 25 years ago. So I hope this puts into perspective what Abram and Sarai experienced. It was only 25 years later, finally 25 years later, when they brought Isaac into the world. And so along the way, I hope you understand how much pain Sarai experienced to get her to the point where she devised a plan, and her plan was this. She went to her husband, Abram, and said, the Lord has kept me from having children. Perhaps I can build my family through my servant girl. Sarai had an Egyptian servant girl named Hagar. At that time, it was not uncommon for the head of the household to have relations with the female servants in their household. It was not uncommon. And then the household head could then adopt that child and make him his own. That was actually a common practice. And so when Sarai went to Abram with this plan, she just didn't fetch it out of the sky. She thought, wow, I see this all around me. Now, it's important for us to know this, that just because certain practices were accepted in that society and in any society, it does not make it right. And it does not make it God-honoring. In fact, that practice went directly against God's design for the husband-wife relationship. But again, that's what often happens when we stray from God. 
when we try to go ahead of God. We start to reason. We start to justify. And this can apply to every area of life. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute. But back to the account. After Sarai explained her plan to Abram, we're told in Genesis 16 that Abram agreed to the plan. He reasoned, you know what? This must be the avenue. So he agreed to this plan. Hagar conceived quickly. But something terrible happened afterwards. Sarai became jealous of Hagar. She became so jealous, even though this was her idea. She became so jealous of her servant girl that she started to mistreat Hagar. Hagar was so mistreated that she fled, even while she was pregnant, into the wilderness. And something then, though, miraculous happened in the wilderness. Hagar came face to face with the angel of the Lord. Now, I want you to know something very important. In the Old Testament, we often read this term, angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, oftentimes the angel of the Lord is actually a pre-incarnate vision of Christ. It's Christ in his pre-incarnate state appearing as the angel of the Lord. So Hagar came face to face with the creator and the savior of the world while she was in the wilderness on her wilderness journey. And so the angel of Yahweh, the pre-incarnate Christ himself, instructs Hagar to return to Sarai. He also promised that the Lord had heard her cry and that she would have a son and she would name him Ishmael. Now I want you to see the remarkable response of Hagar to this appearance of the Lord himself. I invite you to turn to Genesis 16, verses 13 to 16, to see Hagar's response. Genesis 16 Starting in verse 13, it says this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So it was there in the wilderness that Hagar met Yahweh. And she would give Yahweh this name, El Roi. El Roi is the God of who sees. It's the only time in the entire Bible we see this name of God. And it was given by this Egyptian servant girl. El Roi, the God who sees. 
Hagar was so overwhelmed by the reality that God not only saw her, that he cared for her, this lowly servant girl, that he was watching over her well-being. What an incredible truth. And so she was so overwhelmed that she gave him the name, the God who sees. This is an example of the God who not only sees, but who knows his creation. He loved Hagar because he created her in his image. And he loves every single one of us because he's created every single one of us in his image. So no matter what race, ethnicity, background, no matter what you've been through in life, where you are right now, God sees you where you are and he cares deeply for you because he created you in his image. I mean, what an incredible truth that is. When the Bible says that God sees us, what it really means is that he knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows every single hair on your head. Now, it's been said that the average head has about anywhere from 90,000 to 150,000 strands of hair. Some of you are like, well, my head doesn't have quite that many, and that's okay. That's okay. Some heads, they have a lot more hair, but God knows every single strand of hair. You know, our son, Andrew, when he was a baby, he had so much hair. I mean, he had so much hair that it was untamable, and it was so fluffy. Here, I'll prove it. Take a look. Look at that hair. Look at that hair. And just, we just couldn't tame that hair. It was just so fluffy. You put a hat on him, take the head off. I was looking at this picture this past week, just marveling at the beauty of this little child. And then I was thinking, wow, it's so fitting because uh, he now, he still has a very nice full head of hair if you see him. And uh, what's pretty neat is that he's actually, he's actually like the best barber that I know. In fact, whenever he comes home, he cuts my hair. Uh, every weekend, he has clients lined up all day long on Saturday for him to cut their hair. So I thought, wow, how fitting that God gave him this full head of hair, and then he'd grow up to be this uh, <laughs> world-class barber. And so um, God knows every single hair on your head. Did you also know that God knows every tear that you've shed in your life? Have you ever thought about that? Not a single tear has gone unnoticed by God. It's remarkable. That's why David wrote in Psalm 56, verse 8, Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? David knew that God had counted every one of his tears. The next time you shed a tear, I hope that you're reminded that God understands your pain. Parents, how many tears have we shed 
for our kids in their lifetime. Too many for us to count, but God has counted every one of those tears. For their health, their emotional well-being, their salvation. Please know that every tear that you've shed for your child, God has recorded it. It does not go unnoticed. For those with loved ones who are suffering, physically, emotionally, mentally, God sees your tears. And he's counted every single one of them. For those of you who are caring for loved ones who can't care for themselves, and you cry every day for them, God hears you and he sees your tears. And then there are those who just have a hard time getting up in the morning yourself. For those facing depression or anxiety and you're scared, I don't pretend to know your situation, but I hope that you have the confidence in knowing that God sees every single tear that you shed. God knows your pain. You know, the depth of his knowledge is so great that he gave his only son, his only child, for our pain. And that's why the Apostle Paul can say this in Romans 8, 28. He can say, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. When Paul says that all things, in all things, what he means is all things. One commentator says this, all things include good and bad, bright and dark, sweet and bitter, easy and hard, happy and sad, prosperity and poverty, health and sickness, calm and storm, comfort and suffering, and yes, even life and death. All things. God works all things for the good of those who love him. Now, I've got an important question for you. This is the million-dollar question this morning. What is the good? We just read, God works all things for the good. What is the good? If we get this wrong, we miss the entire point of Romans 8.28. What is the good? Here is the good that Paul's talking about. The good is God's glory. And our part in God's glory is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That is the good. God works all things for the good. The good is God's glory, and our part in his glory is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. The good is not to find better circumstances. The good is not 
that all the sufferings and the tragedies and the hardships will lead to a better set of circumstances. There's no guarantee that our circumstances will get any better. That's a very transactional view of God. So to use this verse as a promise that somehow God is going to make us healthier and wealthier and happier if we just stick it out, that is to misunderstand this verse completely. The God who sees us is a God who wants to transform us into the conformity of the likeness of Christ. You know, in recent weeks, we've been talking much about how we cannot control our circumstances, right? We can only control how we respond in the midst of those circumstances. Oftentimes, our impatience leads us down a wrong path. Oftentimes, our, in our impatience, we try to change our circumstances, thinking that a change in scenery will be the answer. And this often leads to us bouncing around from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from place to place, even at times from church to church. We often think a change in scenery is the answer to my problems. Now, all the while, maybe God is quietly whispering to us. My number one priority is not to change your circumstance. It's to change you. Now, a couple weeks ago, we said that God delights in changing our circumstances. And that still holds true. At times, God will change our circumstance. And at times, he'll keep us in that circumstance. But he doesn't change our circumstance simply to give us an easier life. He changes our circumstances or he doesn't change our circumstance, doesn't matter. For his glory, so that we will be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. It's not simply for an easier life. Thankfully, God is patient with us, far more patient than we are with him. Our human tendency is to try to change our circumstances instead of changing ourselves in the midst of those circumstances. You know, waiting on the Lord is hard, isn't it? Do you agree? Waiting on the Lord is very hard. We often hear that. Waiting on the Lord is hard. You know, the one thing that I've never heard in my life is this. Uh, trying to catch up to the Lord is hard. I've never heard that. Trying to catch up to the Lord is hard. All right, it's usually just the opposite, waiting on the Lord, because we're good at going ahead of God, only to wait for Him. So if you're facing a difficult circumstance in your life right now, please know that God knows your circumstance. And He knows you, and He cares deeply for you. I don't know your circumstance. But I do know the God who cares deeply for you. And he's working all things for the good. And what is the good again? His glory. 
And what is our part in his glory? To conform to the likeness of Jesus. So this week, my friends, when we wake up in the morning, when we sit at the side of our bed, I hope we can remind ourselves of two things. One, to thank God that he sees us. Wake up and say, God, thank you for seeing me. And then two, ask him to conform you to the likeness of Jesus that day. That is my prayer. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for the reminder through your word that you see us. You saw Hagar in her need. And you showed yourself, you revealed yourself to her in an unmistakable way. And you see us in our need. And yes, at times, our circumstances change. Other times, they don't. But no matter the situation, Father, our aim is to bring you glory and to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That's it. And thank you for that reminder today. I pray for each one, every one of us that this week we would walk forward with that truth and apply that truth to our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.